so honored to get to be with you on this Pentecost Sunday, where we celebrate the fact that God sent the power of the Holy Spirit down upon the early believers. As we, as we talked about earlier in our readings, this church was there not knowing what the future would be, and, and they were praying and waiting as Jesus commanded them to do, and God sent the Holy Spirit in power, and it changed lives. It changed lives that day, and would begin the foundation of the church. We look to it as the birthday of the church. And we're talking from the book of Ephesians here in this message series, uh, which is about a church that is built upon Christ. And it's so appropriate that we talk about that on the day of Pentecost as we see how the church has continued to grow and God has continued to call us to follow him. And here in these words in Ephesians, he's going to give some specifics about how we do that. So let's jump right in. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Ah, submission. You were hoping we'd talk about that today, weren't you? I can see it in your faces. Yes, submission sermon. I've been waiting for this, right? One of my favorite. No, nobody. No, nobody's excited about that. And that means that you're normal when it comes to submission, at least. Uh, we don't like it, right? It's not our favorite thought. When we think of submission, we might even think of painful images like this one, right? And God forbid I be the guy in the blue shorts. Ouch. You know how that works. He lays in that position until he eventually taps out and says, I submit. No thanks, we say. That's not what I want to experience. So what is Paul saying? Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. How do we do that? Well, Paul's going to get real specific in terms of how we do it. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Oh, good. We picked an easy one for my second day here with you, right? I would have hated to just talk about God is love or something real tricky like that, right? Here we are. And you might hear these verses and say, time out, does, it's 2021. Should we even be reading these things? Are they, is there any relevance in these words for us today here in the United States? And we might read these words and, and even think back to a, a, a bygone era, right? I'm, in a moment, I'm going to show you an image, not yet, but I'm going to show you an image. And you know, pastors, we gener genu generally like it when you say amen, things like that, right? Well, a little public service announcement here. Please don't say amen when this image comes up, okay? You've been warned. Here we go, 1951. Oh, boy. Oh, that's painful to look at, right? And we say, are these words kind of like that nonsense right there? It's, I mean, who is that guy anyway? This is an ad for Van Heusen ties from 1951. And in this painfully embarrassing image, the wife is kneeling before the bed, serving her husband breakfast in bed. And it says, show her it's a man's world. I mean... Okay, I, I admit, I was not around for 1951. Some of you were. 
not trying to offend anyone. Hope the author of that uh, article is not there, to, not here today, because I'm really picking on it. But who is that guy anyway? <laughs> I mean, not only the obnoxiousness of what's happening there, but who wears a white shirt and tie while eating breakfast in bed? This guy is clearly a few sandwiches short of a picnic, don't you think? I mean, so what do we do with Paul's writings? Do we just kind of discard them, skip them over, Pastor, we don't need to preach from those, just keep on moving, right? Let's keep it safe and avoid those. Well, if we do, I think we'll miss some powerful things that God wants to speak to us today. And I believe that we'll find, if we look at these verses in their original context, where they were written, I believe we'll find that Paul was actually seeking to elevate the role of women in that society. Even though to us, in our world today, they seem a little rough. I think that we'll, because the way that things work in a household is determined by the norms of the culture in which you live. Many of you have traveled abroad for work, And so you're familiar with this, that there are things that happen in other countries that are different than the way that we do them in the U.S. And they seem normal there because that's their household ways of doing things, just as we have ours. So the book of Ephesians was written in the first century, uh, a guy named Paul, inspired by God to write this. And and Ephesus was a city in the Roman Empire. Rome, things were a lot different than they are today in many regards, especially in household codes and how men and women interacted. You see, in those days, women were considered to be legally the property of men in most situations. Now, that doesn't mean that's right. That's simply how the Romans did it. And so, a woman who was not married was considered to be the property of her dad until someday she would be married and then she would become the property of her husband. Again, not a time for an amen, okay? Not a time for an amen. Now, you might be familiar with this kind of wording from if you've been to a traditional wedding, right? Like we've had so many countless ones in this space. And the pastor will, will in the beginning, the bride comes down, oftentimes walk down by her father, So there you have the dad, the bride, the groom, all standing right there in this beautiful moment. And the pastor asks a question and says to the father of the bride, who gives this woman to be married? Now, a little insider note, we tell the dad what the right answer is ahead of time, okay? It's uh, not a hard quiz. Some of them might write it on their hands still, but the right answer is her mother and I, right? Now, I did a wedding not terribly long ago, not here, where I had instructed the dad in that way, and apparently there were some issues going on at home because when I got to that moment and I said, who gives this woman to be married, the dad paused for dramatic effect, and then with a full voice said, I do. <laughs> you forgot about mom, and oh, now you've got to go sit by her, so <laughs> good luck with that. But, you know, we know in our world today that that is kind of a traditional formality. We know that she's not his property. She's an adult. She's on her own. And we know when she gets married, she's not her husband's property. That's not how our culture works today, of course. It was a different time. There were other differences as well. Marriages were typically arranged by parents. You didn't marry usually because you fell in love. You married because your parents thought it would be a good idea. How about that? 
could be scary for some of us, right? And this is how marriages work in many parts of the world today. They may have been married, people may have been married because they thought the families needed a closer relationship for business or social standing purposes. So it was expected you would fall in love with your spouse, but that may happen in time and through difficult circumstances. Also, wives were expected to marry the gods that their husbands worshipped. I mean, excuse me, to worship the gods their husbands worshipped. And so in Roman culture, they worshipped a variety of gods. Uh, not that that was right or any of this was right, but that's what they did. And the husband was the one who set the tone for, here's who we worship now. So you might have grown up worshipping this god, but once you got married, you had to transition over to that god. And the Romans saw this, these functions, as essential to the way that society worked. Because the Romans saw the household as the building block for the entire Roman Empire. And so if you did not have proper order at home, you would not have proper order throughout the entire empire. So this household code was very important. Also, the Romans tolerated a variety of religions that were not their own. If a religion was not seen as being subversive to the entire empire or the peace that, that held everything together, that religion was tolerated by the Romans. So it was important that if you wanted your religion to be able to be, happen there, that it would fit in on certain things like this. So when we read Paul's words about wives submitting to husbands, nobody would have batted an eye in that culture. That was normal. That was expected. That was seen as foundational. In fact, Romans actually believed that going way back to the beginning of time, to creation, they believed that God had created men to rule. So they believed it was fundamental from the beginning. A different look than what we see in our creation story. So to disrupt this status quo would have created a lot of unnecessary problems for the church. So we ask the question today, okay, does this mean that Ephesians is this God's timeless endorsement of all those principles uh, forever? Well, not so fast. I think that if we look at the whole passage, we'll see, like I said, that, God, that Paul is actually elevating the role of women. You remember it begins, out, begins by saying, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. This verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it sets the tone for the entire passage, really. And if we were reading this in the original language, we have it here on the screen in this lower line, it would say, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands as you do to the Lord. It actually excludes the word submit. Now, that doesn't mean it's not relevant. If we can take just a brief nerd moment, it won't take long, I promise. But in the original language in Greek, if you leave out the verb, of course you need a verb to make a sentence, you look back to the previous sentence to find your verb. And it is showing you that these are intrinsically tied together. These cannot stand on their own. So this command for wives to submit to their husbands is tied into the command that you submit to one another. How? out of reverence for Christ. Not because you feel the other person deserves it or whatever. We submit to each other because who Jesus is. Now that would have been kind of different than what they were used to. Paul makes it really clear 
when he talks, he goes on to talk about the husband's role in this. He talked about wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But here next, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now this is so powerful. What Paul does is he shifts the focus off of the human marriage and puts it on to the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. So he doesn't say that we understand Jesus by understanding our own marriage. No, he says you understand your own marriage by understanding Jesus' love for you. That is the standard. It's like saying that a marriage, in its ideal sense, a marriage is like a microcosm of God's love for the church. It's a little version. We might say it's the Hot Wheels version. Now, some of you might like Hot Wheels, right? There we have the uh, 63 split window Corvette, uh, which is fairly rare if you know Corvettes. The one on the left is the Hot Wheels edition. It's worth about 300 bucks. So if you have one of those, you might sell it on eBay if you're hard up for cash. You know, that's pretty significant. But the real version, that's about $300,000, okay? It's a whole lot more, a whole lot more money than that. And so our marriages are like the small version, the teeny tiny version of how much God loves us. Now that puts it all in a totally different context. What an incredible responsibility that we all have, but especially here husbands. Love your wife like Jesus loves you. That's a high standard. It's the highest standard, in fact. That's a love without limits. That's a love that literally gave his life so that we can live. It's a love that was given when we didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it, we didn't do anything. No, it's a love that was freely given. That is the love, husbands, that we are called to have. That's a high standard. And that's how we understand this mutual submission to one another. It's based, it's founded on love. Now, as we look at these, we understand Jesus' rationale and why he does this. Verse 26, why? To make the church, or us, holy, cleansing, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. So in doing all of this, Paul has basically endorsed the basic marriage framework of the day. He's endorsed the way that their society was structured, but he's given it a Christian spin. If you were a Roman, not a Christian, just a regular person reading this, you'd read it and say, okay, sounds about right. I'm not sure who this Christ guy is or what his love was, but okay, fine. I see that wives submit to their husbands, the fabric of society is maintained. But if you know Jesus, you know what this is all about. And you know that this submission, it's a mutual thing, and here's how it works. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul also is clear, though, he sees, uh, he sees difference in roles. He sees specific roles in which wives are supposed to submit to husbands. So what does this mean? How do we interpret all this for marriages today? Now, as you might imagine, this is an area where Christians disagree, right? You've probably heard of that. 
And so I'll give you my thoughts. You're, you're free to disagree with them, of course. You disagree whether or not I told you you were free to disagree, so I'll just throw that out there. But whenever we read verses from the Bible, I believe 100% the Bible is God's word. I believe that with all my heart. It's God's word. Whenever I preach, I only have one reason I stand here, and that's to preach God's word. It's not to give you my opinions on the world around me. My opinions aren't any better than yours. I'm here to give you God's word. And, and, and I believe the Bible's God's word. I also believe that we interpret God's word through, by understanding the culture in which it was originally written and then applying it to us today. Let me give you an example. It's a little more on the nose. 1 Timothy 2.9 says, Paul writes this as well. I also want the women to dress modestly, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Uh-oh. Those of you who are worshiping online, you may not be aware, but we have some women in violation today. They're, they're looking quite nice out there. I'll stand at the door and criticize you on the way out. It'll be okay. I won't do that. Because when we read these verses, this verse, do we throw it out? No. We understand it in its context. I mean, imagine if we made this the first line of our wedding policy at Anderson Hills. <laughs> that would be fun, right? Hey, bride, you look great. Let's mess up that hair a little bit, right? It's a little, a little too showy, don't you think? That necklace that grandma loaned you, ooh, that looks real expensive. We're going to have to take that off. I'm sorry. No, we, see, in those days, things like nice hair and jewels were not accessible to the vast majority of people. Today, we don't look at it that way. If you see a woman with her hair done nicely, you don't say, ooh, you must have gotten a big raise at work. That's kind of par for the course, right? It's just, you wear your hair however you want to wear it. That's your choice, right? Uh, so we, we, we apply the truth of this, modesty. And it's not just for females, it's for males as well. We want to be modest. That's what we're called to do. That is a timeless truth. How we do it? Well, that changes from society to or from generation to generation because those standards we have to interpret this as to how it relates to our society today. So that's what we do here. I believe personally that Paul is saying that, that husbands we do need to be spiritual leaders in our home. That's not a something we lord over our wives or our children or anybody else. It's a responsibility. It's a responsibility to love like Jesus loved. That's a high calling. I also believe that that responsibility for husbands to be spiritual leaders does not eliminate uh, the responsibility for couples to submit to each other in love, meaning that we can interpret God's truth together as well. It's not that we just do everything the husband's way. Let me give you an example of how we live this out. I've got to meet with so many of you in your homes or in small groups, our life groups. It's just so much fun. I'm trying to get through all these groups. Uh, it's taking a while because we have a lot of them, you know, but I'm going to keep on going until I get through every one of them, and uh, it's, it's a powerful experience. But I get to hear your stories, and I've heard a variety of, of stories that go something like this, uh, that when, you know, I ask, how'd you come to Anderson Hills? You say, well, you know, I was raised Catholic, and my, my spouse was brought up Hellraiser, so we thought Methodist was a great compromise. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not, but boy, if it got you here, I'm thankful, right? I'm so thankful you're at Anderson Hills and, and that we get to be a church together. 
But I've never heard one couple say, well, the husband was raised Catholic, and, or sorry, the husband was raised Methodist, and the wife was raised Catholic, so, duh, Methodist, guy was Methodist. No, we don't make decisions that way anymore, and, and thanks be to God, thanks be to God. That's called submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, in all seriousness, these verses at times have been even misused. I've actually heard Christians say that if you are part of an abusive marriage and you're a woman, that you just have to deal with that because these verses say that you have to submit to your husband. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's not true at all. Read the passage. Yeah, that's a great time for an amen. Thank you. <laughs> Read the passage. It says we submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And that husbands were called to love our wives as Christ loves the church. There's no place for abuse in that. No place whatsoever. And guys, I want to speak to you directly. If you come here to worship, and you use your hands to put offering in an offering plate, to hold a hymnal, to shake a friend's hand. And then you go home and you use that same hand to harm your wife. How dare you? God gave you that hand. And he gave you your spouse. And you're called to love her as Jesus loves you. And maybe for you, maybe abuse has been passed down in your family. Maybe there's things, there's pains that are going on and you're not dealing with them well. Please seek help now. This week, reach out to me or somebody at our church. We want to help. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, that must stop today. Jesus died so you can be free. We don't abuse each other. And if you're a victim in an abusive relationship, please reach out to our church or somebody else. You're not called to be anybody else's punching bag. It's not God's call in your life or anybody else's life. It's true for husbands. It's true for wives. We are called to love as Christ loves us. Hear Paul's words. For this reason, this love, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, you might recognize some of these verses from wedding ceremonies. We've read them. Pastors have stood right here, right, and have read those verses for generations. They're such powerful words, right? This is, and now you understand the foundation of them, the words that came before that we've been explaining. This is the foundation of all of this. So church, I have this very strong belief that we, as followers of Jesus, we should be the best when it comes to marriage. The absolute best. Because why? Well, the Bible says that we love because he first loved us. 
that this is how we learn to love. We look at Jesus' love for us, and that's how we love each other. So our love, our relationships, our marriage should look different than the rest of the world. It should be better. It should be the best, in fact. But tragically, Christians, our divorce rate is no different than the rest of the world. And hear me. I know that many of us here today are are divorced, and I'm not trying to to stomp on your toes one bit. All of us, every person here, beginning with me, has messed stuff up in life. And thank God for his forgiveness, because I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. And God offers that same forgiveness to you. These are not words of shame and guilt. These are words of hope. Because for all of us, we today, now, we understand that we are to love each other with this kind of love. Maybe you're here and you're a single person and you say, okay, John, what's the relevance for me? This is all great for the married people, but, but what about me? Well, for one, these words show us about Jesus' love for you. Think of the best marriage that you know. I know for many of you, you were married for many years and, and now your spouse has gone on and is with Jesus and it's tough. You miss her, you miss him. Maybe you have so many wonderful memories going back, that love and how great it was. You know something? Jesus' love for you, believe it or not, is like that and even greater. It's the best love you could ever imagine. For others, maybe you're, you're hopeful to get married someday and you're waiting for that right person or you're waiting for God to do that work in your life to help you be that right person. Well, friends, keep it up. Keep up that good work. Because our standard as followers of Jesus, it's high. You saw it today. It's loving each other as Christ loves the church. It's submitting to each other in love, out of reverence to Christ. That's our call, and it's not easy. So when we stand at this altar, whether you hope to do it someday or whether you remember when you did it someday, we stand here and we look the person that we're marrying in the eye and we say these powerful, powerful words. We make this commitment to love each other for better or for worse. That's our call as Christians. But the tragedy is Christians sometimes we trade in that call for the way that the world looks at marriage. And instead of saying for better or for worse, the world says, well, you, you love your spouse as long as it's good for you. As long as they're keeping you happy. As long as this is beneficial to you. If not, eh, you kick them to the curb and move on. That's not Christian marriage. It's not And it's easy for us to buy into that because we see it in movies and and TV and everything else. But if you've bought into that cheap, watered-down, garbage version of marriage, you've gone, and it's like you've gone and traded a Porsche for a Pinto. It's a stupid trade. You've traded your high calling from God to love as Christ loves you, and you've traded it for something cheap, and not lasting. But we stand here and we say, I will love you for better or for worse, in, for richer or for poorer. In those moments we say, boy, if I just, if I have you, I've got everything, right? 
But then time goes on, the bills go up. We say, well, I may not be able to pay these bills, and we get real materially focused. But we got to keep up with the Joneses, and we buy more and more, and, and our drive to make more and more gets higher and higher. And, and sometimes we, make, we can even make greed and materialism an idol. And when we do that, it's often our marriage that gets sacrificed on that idol as we relentlessly pursue more and more and more and more. Maybe we, we looked at each other and we said, I'll love you in sickness and in health. But our world says, well, you know, as decades go on, he might not be the same guy that you once married, or she might let herself go. You just walk away at that point, trade him in on a younger model, whatever, it's kind of how it works. No, that's cheap garbage. That's not the love that Jesus calls you to have. It's not. And finally, we look at each other and we say, I'll love you till death do us part. But then times get tough. And our friends or our family or that book or that movie says, you know, that's not a realistic view of love anymore. Love really is, you know, marriage, it really should be as long as love doth last, right? As long as I feel it. Well, let me tell you, if that's your version, love won't last. That feeling will pass. It happens. If it hasn't happened for you yet, praise God, but it happens from time to time because feelings are fickle. And the day may come, if you're normal, where you'll wake up and you'll look at your spouse and it'll have been a rough night before and you'll say to yourself, Marrying this person might have been the worst mistake I ever made. And you might genuinely feel that in your heart. Satan loves to tell you that lie. That there's no hope. But I don't believe it. I don't. Because we are called to love as Christ loves the church. When did Jesus give up on you? When did Jesus decide that you weren't lovable anymore? Never. It's a perfect love. It's a high standard. It's a higher standard than maybe what your mom and dad had. It's a higher standard maybe than what your neighbor had. It's a higher standard maybe than what you've had, and I'm calling you to it because God calls us to it. Because I can say as somebody who's been married, well, soon to be 20 years, so many of you know I'm just getting started, right? There's no better love than loving another person like Christ loves you. No better love. No better love. And this is what Jesus is calling you to. Maybe for some of us this week, we need to seek out the help of a Christian counselor. There's no shame in that. Jennifer and I, we've done that many times in our marriage. In fact, we covenanted before we got married that we were going to see a counselor from time to time whenever one of us thought we needed it. I mean, do you buy a new car and assume you'll never take it to the mechanic? That's stupid, right? Of course you're going to need tune-ups, and so do marriages. It happens. Or maybe for others, maybe you're single, and you need to recommit yourself to, to living this life of preparation for a Christian marriage, for the real thing, if that's what God calls you to. 
Whatever it is that God's calling you to, do that this week. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And I sense in my spirit, I want to challenge you with something. I want to challenge you, if you're here with your spouse, while I'm praying, would you hold your spouse's hand? I sense that maybe for some of us, we haven't done that in who knows how long. And maybe it's awkward. You can blame me. It's okay. But I just believe that God wants to work. I believe the Holy Spirit's real. I don't believe that Pentecost is just a day that we remember a historical event, we wear red, and then we go on. I believe that he works, that he moves, that he's here, and that he can heal and change lives. I believe that with all of my heart. And I'm going to pray for you in your marriage if you're married. And I'm going to pray for you in your singleness if you're single. And I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit would move. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing a hymn. And while we do, uh, I'll, there'll be a prayer partner down front. Uh, Anna and I will head down front. And we would love just to pray for you. And you might be thinking, ooh, now we get to see who those couples are with problems. They'll go forward for prayer. Nonsense. Nonsense. I invite you to come forward for prayer. If you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, in your marriage, in your singleness, and you're comfortable with us praying for you, come on forward. Won't be embarrassing. We'll pray for you. I just believe there's power in prayer. I believe that with all my heart because my, my life's been changed many times by people praying for me. Would you pray with us? God, in this moment where some of us are holding hands and it's comfortable, we give you thanks and praise for marriages that are centered around you. And for some of us, it's uncomfortable. And Lord, I just praise you for courage to take a simple step forward. And maybe for those couples who can't even hold hands, maybe for those who wonder if there's any hope, if there's any future, if it ever gets better than this. Holy Spirit, would you move? Would you speak hope? Would you speak truth? Would you come in power? Just as you came in fire and wind on that first Pentecost, would you come into our lives, into our marriages, into our singleness? God, would you meet us right where we're at today, and would you bless us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you change us that we go out from this place knowing we can't be the same? Would you give us the courage to take steps forward? Some of us need to humble ourselves and say we're sorry. Some of us need to humble ourselves and seek a counselor. Some of us need to humble ourselves and clean some things up in our relationships. Some of us need to confess to our accountability groups. Some of us need to speak truth into each other's life in love. Help us, God. We need you. We trust you. We believe that these words that Paul wrote generations ago are relevant to us today as we seek to love each other as you love us. Thanks, God, that you're the perfect example. It just doesn't get any better for you. Thank you for loving us. Lord, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.